Well, again, welcome this morning. Um, if you're visiting with us, uh, my name is Joel. We're excited you're here. Um, and uh, we are finishing up, uh, if you haven't been with us in a while, uh, we're finishing up the book of Colossians. Uh, we like to go book by book. And this morning we are finishing um, a series over four chapters. And today we're going to reach the conclusion of what Paul had to say to this church in Colossae. And so let me just say, it's a, it's a great opportunity, the text this morning, to remind us as a church why we exist. And um, one of the reasons we exist is to intentionally um, make other followers of Jesus Christ, or we say it in, in this way, intentionally make him, Jesus Christ, known. And so this morning, we are going to be kind of in a part two of this idea of evangelism and how do we share our faith. Um, if you were with us a couple weeks back, Mike Duma was here and shared a really amazing passage out of Acts 8 and was able to share some practical pieces. I feel like this is kind of the follow-up to that. And actually, when we were talking, him and I, um, about coming in before I left for vacation, he said, do you want me to preach on Acts 8 or I've also got one on Colossians 4? And I said, you know what? This would be perfect. You do Acts 8, I'll do Colossians 4 and uh, we'll end it out that way. So we exist to intentionally make him known. And one of the other things that um, I believe community is known for, and I love this, is that we are relational. And so that means that we often talk in the idea of who's around us, who's with us in our circles of influence. And uh, we want, as we talk about relation, or as we talk about evangelism this morning, I want to talk about it in a way that is a little less scary for those of us in the room who maybe, as you've heard before, it gets a little intense when we talk about evangelism because you're like, oh, he's going to make me share my faith. I know how this is going to go. He's going to say some things. I'm going to feel guilty when I leave here. And then he's going to follow up in a week and he's like, who'd you tell? And I'm going to be like, I didn't tell anybody. I told my dog and he didn't like it. I know how this is going to go. Because oftentimes when we preach about evangelism, we make it so personal and so individual that we miss what I believe Paul is getting at here, and that is that when we talk about evangelism, just as we talk about any other um, piece of what we do as disciples of Jesus Christ, I believe it's in relationship that is most effective. And it's in doing it together and not just me preaching to you individually, say you personally have to go reach the world. That's not, the, that's not what he's going to get at here. And you're going to see why I believe that as we get to the end of chapter four. But this morning, you could take a deep breath and say, this isn't just up to you. This is up to us. And so you can look around and blame other people, right? So it's going to be great. So you can do that with us this morning. It is up to us as a body whether we reach people with the gospel. And the reason I'm going to say that, you're going to see here as we end chapter 4. But beginning, we're just going to go verse by verse. There's going to be a lot of practical pieces this morning. Uh, I believe there's a handout as well. You can start to fill those in as we go along. That's not typical, but again, we were going to be outside and now we're inside. So Stick with us as we go through here. So Paul is finishing up this entire letter to this church of Colossae, this small town church in a, in a rural area, in a blue-collar town. And, and as he speaks to this small emerging church plant that he wasn't even part of, he didn't even know, he ends with some amazing words of encouragement as he talks about evangelism. And he begins in verse 2. Continue, he says, steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, he says, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. That I may make it clear, that is the mystery of Christ, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. 
I love that he says continue, right? So I know this is going to seem basic, but this morning he says continue. So these Colossae, this, this small town church was doing a good job of praying. And he says, I want you to just keep going. Don't stop. Continue to do what you've been doing because it's working and it's effective. Continue, he says, steadfastly in prayer. He says prayer, uh, and I can't remember who said it. it was one of the great theologians of the old. He said, basically, prayer should be like breathing to us. It should be the spiritual breath that we couldn't exist a single day without prayer. And he says, I want you to continue steadfastly in prayer, and I want you to pray specifically in a very specific way. He says, I want you to pray for me, for us, that's a key word, us, that God may open to us, again, it's important, a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on which I am in prison that I may make it clear. So this prayer is that, that Paul and those with him would make the gospel clear to those that they come in contact with. And he says, I want you to pray that for us. And I believe he's also saying, I want you to pray that for you at the church of Colossae. I want you to pray continually for your neighbors. I want you to pray that there be clarity. Mike Dumas said it well. He says, it's the idea that when we present the gospel, I don't care if, uh, I care, but, but my, my, biggest, my biggest argument with you should not be whether we evolved or creation. My biggest argument should not be whether you believe everything every nuance of the Old Testament to the New Testament yet. As a non-believer, my biggest thing to you is, do you believe that Jesus is Jesus, who said he is? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died and rose again for your sins and was buried and rose himself by the power of himself to clarify, I have the power to over your sins and the sins of the world. Do you believe in Jesus? We'll get to the other stuff later, but if we can agree on who Jesus is, I believe the rest will follow. And so he says, if you want to make it clear, the mystery of Christ is this, that Jesus is who he said he is. That's what I want clarity in. I want you to be able to share with the world, ultimately, who is Jesus and what is keeping you from Jesus? Because that is the end game. It's all about Christ And he says, I want it to be done in a plural sense. I love that he says us. It's not like I want you and you and you and you. I want us to do it. I want us to do it. And he says, here's a fun little caveat. He says, I want us and that us, there would be a door open for the word. How many of you ever used the phrase, God, would you please open the door for me? I may have used that phrase before. And we say it like in job opportunities and things like that. The reality is it's only used here and in Corinthians. And every time the word door open, that only phrase is always used. It's always used in relation to the gospel being presented for the sake of evangelism. So when you want to open doors, pray it differently for your jobs. Or pray, God, would you open the door at my job for the sake of sharing the gospel? That will change you, right? And so he uses this phrase, and I think we can kind of use it in different ways, but ultimately it's about evangelism. He says, God, would you open the door because only you can open the door to salvation. Here's the other piece. We get so caught up in our minds that it's up to us whether the person gets saved. Did we seal the deal, right? You've been in church long enough. You worry about, did they actually say yes? And did I get them to say the prayer? And did we go out and get them baptized that same day? It's up to Jesus whether it works, It's up to you to share the gospel. And to us, that should be a relief off of our shoulders to say, okay, I can do that. I don't want to have to feel like I have to seal the deal. And then it gets awkward because it's like he didn't accept Jesus. And I walked away and it was, you know, have you ever been there before? (laughs) You share the gospel with somebody and you make it so clear. And they're like, no, thanks. And you're like, 
well, okay, have a good day then, right? It's so awkward. I've been there many times. You're like, I thought for sure I was clear. It was there, and I thought I was very persuasive. And all of a sudden, they're like, no, I'm good. And you're like, okay. Um, it, even, it even worked with our kids when they were real younger. I'll pick on them a little bit since they're family. There was, there was a time um, where we were raising it when they were really young, and we're like, do you want to accept Jesus today? And I remember, I think it was almost all of them at some point were like, nah, I'm good today. Can we play? And I'm like, oh, yeah, let's go play. You know, and eventually it worked, but, but if we're always just trying to seal the deal, it's not what he's trying to get us to get. He says, you're responsible for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and God's responsible for sealing the deal. So he says, continue to pray for us. And then he's going to give us some very specific things to do when it comes to evangelism. And again, when you think evangelism this morning, I want you to think church. I don't want you to just think me personally, individually. I want us to think church because if the church is being the church, evangelism should happen normally and naturally. He says this in verse six. He says, I want you then, here's how you're going to present the gospel. I want you to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. First thing in your notes, how to talk about it without being weird, right, is be wise in how you handle the gospel. Wisdom means slowing down. When, when, I, when I think of this idea of walking in wisdom towards outsiders, it means that I don't come in hot and heavy saying, these are my evangelism projects and I'm going to save them today, okay? It means I look at the relationship and I say, you know what? I care enough about my neighbor that even if he does that thing that irritates me so often, I'm going to see him as a person. I'm going to love him as a person. I'm going to hear his issues are real issues. And I'm going to hear the person before I make him some kind of project that I'm supposed to go after. Wisdom means I slow down enough in the relationship and I ask more questions than I know the answers to. In any relationship, you know you're a project when all the questions get asked of you, you both at the table know the answer to. And you're kind of like, we both know the answer to this. Why are you asking me that question? You feel like some kind of agenda. Where if I sit down with a person and I truly care about that person as an individual and I ask them truly what is on their heart, what is on their mind, asking things I don't know the answer to, I get to know the person and not just that I'm supposed to save them. The other thing that happens when we slow down and we, we go into relationships with those outside of the church, outside of Christ, and we slow down enough to find the person is we find common ground. Very often we find common ground. And, and when you do that, celebrate that. Ask about those things. Don't just kind of shut it off and be like, well, I don't know how to deal with that part of your life. Find the common ground. And as you do so, it's in being wise, Last thing I'll say about being wise is this, and that is that when we come to uh, sharing the gospel, I think so often we just assume that all the wisdom that is in the world is only found in the church. And ultimately, true wisdom is only found in the church, but ultimately there is wisdom to be found in those who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so in this idea of being wise, sometimes it's just asking them the, the questions that you need answers to, especially in your coworkers and things like that. There's certain things that you just need and can find wisdom in. 
People want to be celebrated, and as we slow down and ask more questions than we tell, we can be wise in how we present the gospel. He says, be wise, and then not only does he say be wise, but he says, making the best use of the time. Now, this phrase, making the best use of the time, in the actual is actually this idea that kind of visualized, the church of Colossae would have seen that phrase, and they would have visualized a huge marketplace. Now, if you've been out overseas or not, or if you've been in a really crowded area, and it, it works best overseas in marketplaces, especially when we were down in Haiti, because you can fully experience the smells and the camaraderie and the, and the chaos that is happening in, a, in an open marketplace. I mean, it's insane. I mean, you, you're, you're on a missions trip, you're trying to make sure you grab your students, you're like, nobody leave my side because you don't know what's happening in the marketplace and people are yelling and bartering. And this idea of marketplace is what Paul is using in this phrase, make use of the time. And it was meant to be this thing of going into a marketplace and just consuming everything. I'm just so in love with it. I'm just so happy and joyful about it. I just want to have everything here. And he says, when we talk about evangelism, it should be that idea and that mindset. It's so invigorating to me. I love the gospel and Jesus enough. I just want more of it. And he says, I want to consume all of it. And so I took this phrase and I kind of narrowed it down to this statement of be present. So not just be wise, but I want you to be present physically, intellectually, conversationally. Be involved in that conversation when you're with that person. Being present in things that you already do. Let me add that on there. Not just being present as like, I'm going to go and I'm going to make disciples, but I'm going to be present in the things I already do. So here's what I mean by that. Be a good friend to somebody who you know is outside of Christ. And you're like, man, I just want to be a good friend to that person. I want to understand their, their wants and their desires. I want to be faithful to them as a friend. I want to be not only a good friend, especially in a small town, you want to be a good local. Okay, so part of evangelism means that I am part of the DNA of the town and or city in which I live. And part of being a good local means I visit the same places and I go to a lot of the places that people frequent. And as I go to the places people frequent, I get to know people. I get to build conversations. I get to build names. This isn't like rocket science, but it's intentionally saying, you know what, we could go here or there to go out to eat or go out here and grab some coffee or, or I could go and just say, you know what? Part of being a good local means I'm going to eat at the places my friends outside of Christ eat at. I dine at the places they do and I'm part of their world. Be a good friend, but also be a good local. Be a good regular in the town that you are in. Now, for those who are in this town, that's great. For those who work out of town, be a good local in the town you work in. Don't assume like, well, see, now I got to be at both places at once, but I spend far more time there. Don't overcomplicate this, okay? Don't overcomplicate it. Just be where God's placed you to be and be a good local there representing Christ in what you do. This could mean as simple as sports and practices. It is coming up on fall, and Lord willing, (laughs) we will have sports um, until somebody gets one case, and then it'll all be shut down. But until then, we will have sports, and we're going to have practices, and we're going to have scrimmages. There is something amazing about God-given opportunities to go to that practice field and just have a conversation. Instead of sitting in your car and turning on the radio and saying, okay, I've got an hour to kill, I'm going to catch up on work, What if you actually stepped outside of your car and you had a conversation with somebody and you'll gauge whether or not they want to talk to you, you know? This isn't like going up to the car next to you is parked and the windows are up and you're like, excuse me, I see you're at practice. 
You don't want to do that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if there are people congregating, go and be a good local. Don't be weird. Be a good local and have a conversation. And don't lead with, hey, have you heard about the gospel today? Don't lead. Be a good local. Be a good friend. Make a relationship happen. And as you go through a season, you're going to amazingly see God work in the midst of being relational because that's what it is. Soccer is going to be huge for us and practice times and games and the ability to see people we haven't seen before and just having good conversations and having good relationships. Sitting on the sidelines and having quality conversations is part of this idea of evangelism. Make best use of your time. Let your speech, he says, be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may also know how you ought to answer each person. Let me go with this one. So let your speech be, key word here, gracious. There is a genuine, genuine need in our culture right now for the church to be the church and to be gracious in how we give truth and how we love and how we have conversations and how we don't throw out labels too quickly and we just hear And being gracious means, yes, I tame my speech, but I think practically us as a church, being gracious means be okay with awkward conversations, okay? I think so often we assume it's just going to go here and there. We're going to make it so clear. It's going to be so easy. Be okay with awkward silence. Be okay with silence in general. Wait for a response from the person, even if it gets weird, There's been many conversations that I've walked away from that they did not want to have a conversation with me and I knew it and I kind of felt it and I'm like, you know what? This is weird. I'm going to go. And and just saying that out loud, they're kind of like, phew, it was weird for me too. So I'm glad you said it, right? It's a simple thing, but it's okay to be gracious and say those things. Be gracious with your neighbors. This is something, just personal accountability time with you, um, I've had a struggle with lately. Because there's been a certain incident that has been happening in our allotment and in our, with our neighbor. And my wife has told me many times, you know, are you going to love him to life? And I'm like, no, not today. <laughs> not today, I'm not. And it's been happening. There's just a couple of times. And, 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 and every, every time I'm like, is it really that big of a deal? And on some days I'm like, yes. Other days I'm like, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. In eternity, it's not going to really matter. Being a good neighbor and being okay with those things that annoy us and being gracious in how we live. Let me share one other example with you just practically, and they don't know that I'm going to share this, so I'll keep names private for now, but um, they'll probably not care, but just in case they care. There are um, people in our church that are surrounding a certain neighbor, and they have done an amazing job of loving their neighbors to life, and I've seen it, and I've seen it happen on a regular basis. And I've thought many of times, like, I am, I, I know God, and I mean this, like, jokingly, but almost somewhat seriously, in his sovereignty knew who to place next to that neighbor because they have loved this neighbor, they have cherished this neighbor, they have gone over and above to serve this neighbor, they have taken flowers to this neighbor in the passing of, an, of a pet and all these things, and it has been amazing to watch from the sideline. I don't even know if they know that I'm watching, but I am, and it's amazing to see them just love and love patiently, and they know, patiently love this neighbor and I love it because it's not individual, this neighbor, this, it's together. They're combining and saying, we want to love 
this person to Jesus. And it's, I just love watching it happen. And honestly, looking at this neighbor, this neighbor has changed as a result of the love that they have for this person. It's a we thing. It's an us and not just an individual thing. We talk about evangelism because ultimately in being gracious, we realize that real people have real problems. And real people have real pasts. And we can get all caught up in our, and I'm just going to get a little preachy on you. We can get caught up in feeling like, well, they didn't really measure up to the standard of Christianity that I know and respect. Well, of course they didn't. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. So why would they measure up to your level? Instead, we understand that there are people with pasts and there are people with relationships and there are people who have problems of their own and and outside of the gospel, they're not going to be fixed. And so we say, I want to point them to the gospel because the gospel and the Jesus Christ will be the only thing to fix their problems. And so I come to you and say, bring me all of your past. I don't care. Bring me all your problems as jacked up as they are. I'll hear them and I'll, I'll walk you through them because I want to know. And we have to remember that ultimately, Ultimately, in being gracious, we understand again that we see that Jesus is the one that saves. We point them in the direction. We say, Jesus, please, Jesus, please save him. Please save him. But ultimately, it's up to you. And we do our part, and we trust Jesus with the rest. I love this um, quote by a guy named Harvey Turner who wrote a book, Friend of Sinners. It's a great little read. And he says, graced people, grace People. Let me say that again. Graced people who have experienced grace, grace people. And if you've experienced grace, you give it away. I think if you haven't experienced much grace, it's a lot easier not to give it away. Does that make sense? The ones that have seen the most grace in their life have the easiest time giving it away. I think the ones that haven't seen the most are the hardest and the stringiest with the grace that they give. And God's asking us, as he had before in Colossians, to love and forgive as Christ would forgive other people. Be gracious. Last part, he says, season with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is an amazing thing. I love this. Not only be gracious, but be interesting. (laughs) Okay? Okay? Don't be me in college in my moody bubble who didn't know how to interact with an outside world. Okay? Don't get so caught up with just church friends, church activities, church this, church that, that you don't know how to be an interesting person. Say that in love, but sometimes we just need to kind of be out there a little bit and say, you know what? I need to love this person even though I have nothing in common with them and I need to get a hobby that maybe I'm really just kind of stuck in this world. This is just for me. I can get so stuck in pastoral world. Honestly, just, I get so stuck in being a pastor world that I, I need to be like, okay, get, you need to get a hobby, brother. Like, I, I get that you love church and you love being, but you need to get a hobby outside of the, the church world because that's where you find the people. That's where you have interactions with people. And it's not just in this little bubble that we're in, but he says, I want you to be interesting. I want you to be able to interact in a way that you know what's, what's going on in culture and what's happening around you. And as you're relational in this, you'll see amazing fruits start to happen. So again, he says a couple of different things in here. He says, be um, wise, be present, um, be gracious, be interesting, and all these things. And then finally this morning, let me close with this part. He says, not only let this be interesting to each other, but he goes into this section of chapter, or verses 7 all the way to 18, okay? 
And in verses 7 to 18 is where I continue to see that this evangelism thing is a we and not just a personal your mission only. Here's what I mean by that. He could have ended this letter any way he wanted to. Paul had the pedigree, Paul had the resume to say, just do what I did and you'll be good. We, that could have been really easy just to end the letter that way. Instead, Paul says, pray for us. And then in verses 7 to 18, he reminds the church at Colossae who the us is. This is amazing. Paul had his own small group in prison. Isn't this crazy? Paul had his own relationship. The dude couldn't stop talking about Jesus. Even when he's in prison, he's like, you know what I should do? I'm going to get guys around me. We're just going to talk about Jesus. Like, you're in prison. How does that work? But Paul continues to bribe people. So he's got guys like Thycius. He's got Onesimus. He's got Aristarchus. I I can't even pronounce this. I had it when I started. Aristarchus. There you go. And he says, I've got Mark with me, and I've got Justice with me, and I've got Epaphras with me. He goes into this long flowing thing. Thycius will tell you about all my activities. He is my beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. You may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Relationship, relationship, relationship. And with Onesimus, we talked about him last week, one faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place. They've got stories to tell you of the gospel going out. It's amazing. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome Mark, because Mark's part of my circle now. And and, and Jesus, and so Jesus is there, but not that Jesus, who is also called Justice, and Justice is with me. These are only the men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers. That's what a pastor does. He struggles on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, the one who wrote the book of Luke, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nephia. He says, I've got all these guys around me. And this prayer that we make the gospel clear wasn't just for Paul. The idea of making the gospel clear was for us, for Thycius, for Epaphras, for Onesimus, for Mark, for Luke. Would you pray that we would be the church in this prison cell? We would be the church on display, even in prison, that people would hear the gospel and receive him and they would know. You see, all this goes back to the very beginning. We said that we are intentionally making Christ known. It's the key word of we, us. And the only way we really do it well is if we are all together and we're all on mission. That we're all praying for our neighbors by name. That we're all praying for our coworkers by name. We're praying for that lost family member by name together and not just on your own. I'm telling you, there's power in being together. And especially for those introverts in the room, you're like, oh, thank God, I'm not doing it alone. Or maybe for you, you're like, oh, please let me do it alone. I don't know. <laughs> but, but regardless, we are doing this together. And together, we point people to the gospel. I love in this uh, amazing little read, it's called Evangelism by J. Max Stiles. It's an amazing little book. Um, and he says that in this idea of communal evangelism or church, commun- church evangelism, he says, here's a couple things that happen in it, and we'll close with this. When we do this together, we hold one another accountable, 
We strengthen our mutual resolve. We learn from one another and how we share our faith. Oh, you said that? That was amazing. When you said that to her, when you did that for her, that was, that was really cool. We learn from one another. We rejoice together in success, which we're going to do here in a little bit, and we cry together in failure. And when I say failure, let me just, I know this is long. When I say failure, that means that there have been many in my life that I prayed that they would accept Christ, one on his deathbed. I said, God, please, please, please. And on his deathbed, I remember saying, I don't want your God. And I knew what that meant. I knew what the destination was. And I knew how hard that was to hear. And knowing I had to do his funeral even after that, I knew how hard that is. And we cry and lament over those who said, I want everything but Jesus. Thank you very much. It will happen. But we cry together in the failure, hoping that many would come to Christ. And then lastly, he says, we bond through shared experiences in in intense situations. This morning, as we think of evangelism, I'm hoping those are some practical pieces to help you as you live this out. But here's the biggest piece of all of it this morning. Don't go at it alone. Don't go at it alone. We're gonna have small groups back here, Lord willing, in September. And I'm praying that those small groups become that place for you that is just so welcoming and is so living on mission with you. You're like, man, we are doing this together and we are reaching our neighbors for Jesus together. And we see amazing things start to happen because of it. That's my hope and my prayer as we live this out. So let me pray for us. And then I'm gonna invite up uh, David in Tennessee here real quick and we're gonna continue on.